In today's episode, SEO legend Brian Dean shares the process of how he increased his organic traffic by 80% by updating old blog posts. And we also talk about why case studies are great for social media, but bad as SEO content, and so much more. You're listening to Strike Gold with Jonathan Kahn and Roy Provarchik, and today we have a special guest, Brian Dean. To explain who Brian Dean is, it just takes one sentence. He is one of the world's top experts in SEO, and if there's anything you need to know, this guy knows it. He literally talks Google, okay? Brian, yes. did I go overboard? <laughs> a, a little bit, I don't yeah. think I did. I mean, All right, well, I, I, have to st- I have to pretend to be humble and say you went overboard, but secretly. Oh, uh, yeah, but secretly you know. But we all know the know. truth. It's fine. it's like the the google whisperer uh podcast show um brian keep going i'm not gonna say anything if you guys keep pumping out pouring out (laughs) i'm not gonna say anything i had like a 20 minute spiel already and roy was like you need to cut down (laughs) i was like oh okay got Uh, it all right cool but i do i i've I've watched the like you can't you can't not google your name see the content the things that you're saying and how you're saying them what's going on and not immediately understand that you're an expert in this field well thank you i appreciate that yeah um so first i want to say because i'm uh admittedly i'm a little bit of a fanboy here of your work i've been following for a long time i do marketing myself uh and i was inspired a lot about by a lot of the content you create Uh, i think a lot of marketers that i know uh has been have been like uh uh inspired by it and have been reading it and you are one of the top bloggers who talk about SEO and, and driving traffic through organic means. And, and I think you, you are like one of the top ones for sure in this industry. So it's a great honor to have you with us. Uh, and I'm very happy you, you joined us. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. Yeah. Okay. That was, that, now Jonathan has 10 more minutes of spiel. Then we do back and forth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is going uh, great so far. I love yeah. it. This is the whole podcast, right? You guys just yeah. compliment me. Yeah. So, yeah, this is just it. We compliment you. Yeah, Strike Gold, we basically bring people on the podcast. We compliment them for 45 minutes, and then we ask for a backlink and ask them to share the podcast with their fans. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, you know, I think there's so much content. So much, I think there's a lot of good content about SEO out there. And I think that the, the two things that are... Uh, always hard to find are ones uh, are good topics to talk about the mindsets because when it comes to SEO, there's so much things you can do, right? There's so many different projects you can take on as you're trying to improve your website, uh, your ranking and traffic. And so there's a mindset part of how to approach it. And then there's the other part of like, like how to plan a project and what would you do and, and the different tactics, right? Like the specific tactic you do. Now, I know you've recently went through a very interesting project on your website. Yes, exactly. So the project was combining the two things you just said, like looking at it, taking a step back and looking at approach and then tactically implementing what we did. So basically what happened was about a year ago, I looked at the organic Google traffic that was coming to my site, uh, Backlinko. And it was like most sites, you have certain pages that, 
do better than others, like the 80-20 principle, right? You have yeah. you know, 20% of your pages bring 80% of your traffic and sales and all that stuff. But I noticed it was even more skewed than that. It was like 95-5, like 5% of the pages were bringing in 95% of traffic. Whoa. It was really skewed. And I wondered why these other pages couldn't be like those top of foreign pages, right? Like what was it about those pages that did so well that the others didn't, especially the really poor performers. I wanted to, to go into the deep into the recesses of Google Analytics. Like you just keep clicking page, 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 and you go all the way to the end. Like what, why are those pages just doing so poorly? And I realized part of it was that a lot of those pages were old. And since I published them, Google has changed a lot. So what I would do back in the day is I would find a keyword and I would create a piece of content around that keyword and it would rank. And that's still at a high level, the approach I take today. The, the difference is that content could be about anything. As long as it was optimized around that keyword, I was good to go. So to give you an example, I had uh, one of my keywords was SEO campaign, like how to create an SEO campaign. So that page did okay when I put it out in terms of like social shares and comments and whatnot. But it was a case study about how one guy executed this particular strategy as part of an SEO campaign. It was kind of like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, but it was optimized around the keyword. It had links, so it ranked for a while. But over time, Google kind of figured out that's not really a good fit for that keyword, and it started to drop off, even though it had all the traditional stuff, links, on-page SEO, the URL was SEO campaign. And it just like faded over time. Is it because like the intent was not the right one anymore? Exactly. So the intent was never a good match for the keyword, but Google just didn't know how to figure that out. Like they were just going with the traditional stuff and I was ranking. And then over time, the ranking slipped. And I noticed it happened for a bunch of pages, somewhere in the opposite direction, you know, pages that were good fits for user intent for what that person who's searching for that keyword wanted, those were going up and the others are going down. And right. I was looking at those ones that went out. I said, like, what happened here? Why are these doing so bad? And what can I do to turn things around? I knew that I could do build more links or add more SEO stuff to the page, you know, keyword optimize a little bit more. But I kind of had a feeling that wasn't going to do it because, you know, if you rank like 14 and you've been there for months, you're not going to get to the top three from some SEO changes on the page usually. You need right. to do something pretty dramatic so wait i, I want to stop you for a second i want to i want just to kind of point out a few things and want to get to the last point as well so one if we take like one step back so what happens is that you look at your website's organic traffic you say i'm getting this uh, x amount of traffic right now how do i increase my traffic and then there's different tactics of course you can always utilize you can create a lot more content you can you know you can you can do a bunch of things to to uh, you know, just like going to like this major backlinks kind of spree. There's a lot of different tactics you can you can try and kind of look at and try and do. And if, and what you start with is saying, before I'm looking into creating more things, or or like what's not there yet, I'm gonna look into uh, I'm gonna analyze what's been working and what's not hasn't been working on my website. Am I right? That's like yeah, that was exactly, the first thing. Exactly. That's like the mindset thing. The first thing, like because again, uh, a lot of uh, there's so many tactics and options you can go when you say about when you say like SEO and it's sometimes it's the first step is understanding what kind of an approach do I even want to take 
when I mean like getting more organic traffic, for example. So for you, the first step was to step back and say, wait, I, I'm first, I want to analyze what's actually working for me instead of going and deploying more of the know-how tactics of SEO, like the, the creating more uh, keyword-oriented pages and backlinks. You said, I want to first analyze what's going on for me right now, right? Exactly. So if I was starting, I mean, if you're starting a site from scratch, you have nothing to go with. Like you just right. have a blank slate but if you have any sort of like even if you don't have a blog just have like landing pages on your site for a SaaS product like different use cases or customers or whatever you have something to go on and be like why is this one page crushing it and this page isn't and and usually the in terms of seo at least the answer a lot of times is you don't have the authority to rank for that keyword so one's easier to rank for than the other right. but a lot of times it's especially if you have authority it's more it just isn't a good fit, and Google's not going to show it to people until it is. Right. But um, how did you decide to start there and not other things? Like, what made you say, I want to start with existing content versus create more content? Uh, well, a couple of years ago, I read this case study on the HubSpot blog where they talked about how they had gone back and updated a lot of their old mm-hmm. stuff, and it worked really well for them. And I had actually okay. tried that. Like I had, re- it, they, I called it the content relaunch. Didn't have a name for it, so I call it the content relaunch. And that's basically you take an old piece of content, you improve it and update it, and then you publish it as a brand new post. Right. But this isn't even what I'm talking about. This is like just going back and just silently, without any fanfare, making the page better. Like this isn't right. about relaunching and getting new eyeballs on or any of that blogging stuff. This is a pure, purely for SEO. You go okay. back to a page that no one's seen. No one's looking at, and you make it better, and you don't say anything about it, and Google can take care of the rest. It's not a magic right. bullet. Like, you still need authority and whatnot. But the early, like, not to jump too far ahead, but we did it a couple more times, and every time it increased traffic dramatically. Right. How many blog posts are we talking about? In total, probably, I mean, on the blog, there's, like, maybe 80 now, and we updated wow. probably 30, 35, or 40. Okay. And and it got you, can you say like the jump, the, the result? Yeah, it was about 80% increase in organic traffic. Okay, that's crazy. And, you're, and you already have like a lot of traffic, right? Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, it's like another it's... million visitors a year. Whoa. Okay, that's crazy. It was, but it was a lot of like, wow. it's, it sounds like, oh, you just go back and you update a page and you get a million visitors. It was not yeah. like that at all. Like this was an all hands on deck Manhattan project. We're all in, we're doing this. We need to, and it wasn't even updating pages sometimes. Sometimes it was taking a page, like the SEO campaign page with this case study, just deleting it, starting from scratch, being like, okay, what would someone who's searching for this keyword want to see? in a blog post. Do they you have to delete like, the page or just like change the content on the same URL? Just change the content. Uh, sorry, okay. you definitely don't want to delete the page because a lot of times it has some metrics. It on has there. value. Yeah, it has value, exactly. So no, no, I just deleted the content basically and started from scratch and made it step-by-step step instead of this case study. And it went from like second page to number one over the course of a couple of weeks when Google had time to like measure or whatever. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So like, um, no, no, because that thing that you said about not deleting the page and it has some sort of value is very interesting because one of the things that I was looking into that you um, actually did a video about was zombie pages, right? Mm-hmm. And in one of your pieces of content, you actually advised that you should slowly remove blog posts that are, you know, not doing anything, that are just dormant. Because a, a website uh, recognized by Google with really good content but less content is more valuable than having a lot of content that's not as not good not good quality content. So like now I'm kind of like interested like is that which technique is the is the technique that you would advise today 
on those types of like, uh, you know, dormant, almost dormant uh, posts? So that's a good question. So basically what you want to do is have like, if let's say it was like a flow chart, you'd be like, you'd have page X that's not getting any traffic on your site. Is it salvageable? Mm -hmm. Like, does this page make sense on our website? Yes or no? Okay. Yes. If no, delete it. Yes. It makes sense for our website. Can we improve it and update it to make it relevant? Yes. Then improve and update it or no. Can you combine it? with another page that's, that's relevant and make like a super page. Yes. Then you should do that. So it's, it's more like if, like if you have a page in your site, that's about an event you had that no one cared about from eight years ago, there's nothing really you can do to improve it. So you should just delete it. Or, you know, you hired someone, you made a post about it and that person's no longer at the company, delete it. You know, there's a lot of, or you have, um, you know, product pages for unsold out stuff that you no longer sell. That's something that you consider deleting. So, it's more like you got to go, unfortunately, it's a lot of work. You have to go page by page and go through that little flow chart of basically whether it's salvageable or not. So is this something that makes that we can salvage into something great or combine? Then you should do that. If not, I usually recommend deleting it. That said, your mileage may vary with deleting stuff. It's always a risk to delete content, blah, blah, blah. Don't sue me if you're psychos to page It's actually interesting. I'm, I'm actually, I'm in the midst of doing a similar thing with one of Stardom's, my agency's clients. And I, I can't say like the name because it's a, well, because I don't want to get sued uh, for, for saying what we're doing with the client, but it's one, it's, it's a pretty big company. Uh, B2B company and we're doing the same thing and I'm interested on, on your take on it because the way we're doing this is that uh, I've basically I'm focusing on three parameters per page I'm thinking about organic traffic like did this page get any organic traffic in the last 60 days and how like how much uh, number of backlinks to that page and uh, number of conversions we get from that page and based on the combination uh, that's how we choose what to do with it. If, for example, it's like zero, 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 meaning no conversions, no traffic, no uh, organic, um, and no, no backlinks, then we and remove the page, right? Um, unless, of course, it's very relevant in terms of the keywords, and then we just try and revamp, etc. Uh, if it's a page that is getting a lot of backlinks and traffic but zero conversions, we'll just kind of see how we can optimize this for conversions. Um, Basically, we ha- we did this. We have a crazy Excel sheet for this, with all kinds of rules on depends on the on how many backlinks, how many uh, conversions, and how many how much traffic we're getting for this. And we're actually, I think, we're gonna delete about a few hundreds of pages from that. Wow! Yeah, uh, see, uh, it's scary. That's scary. It is scary. That's why I recommend doing it gradually. It's something yeah. that you don't want to delete a hundred pages and be like, oh man, we. They all had backlinks. We're using the wrong tool or something like that. You right. know, it's good to do it gradually. And the way I look at it, not to oversell this zombie page deletion thing, but basically, if the pages aren't bringing any traffic, what do you really have to lose? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, you're not, not your traffic's probably not. I mean, like I said, you never know the implications of doing any ch- any change could result in a change in your traffic or rankings, whatever. But if you think about it logically, like these pages aren't bringing in traffic, they haven't for months. By deleting them, the downside is really capped, but right. the upside is really high because that those sites could have been dragging down a lot of other good pages on your site. Right, right. So wait, let's let's go back so to when the you Manhattan did, wait, Project for a second. Wait, wait, uh, 
I have one question about the Manhattan yeah. Project. One second. Because yes. <laughs> this is like – so – and this is important to me because I, I'm thinking of the, the average Joe person, the marketer sitting in a company trying to make something happen. When you went through this Manhattan Project, you said, okay, we're going to start doing this. When was – like how many pages did you do before you turned around and said, okay, this is worth continuing to do? I would say maybe two or three. It was pretty early on. Like we had experimented with the relaunch, which I had mentioned, and that's sort of – it's a similar idea, but that's more like you have a blog post that's like 20 tips for growing a podcast in 2017 – and then you create a 2019 version that's updated. You maybe maybe remove one that doesn't that's not relevant anymore. You add one that's relevant. You change some screenshots, change the examples to more updated things, and you relaunch it as a new post because most people in your audience haven't seen it yet, right? And you right. get a little SEO boost from all the buzz, and you can get more links because there's more eyeballs on it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That gave me some early impressions, like, oh, there's something to this. Just updating an existing page can be really powerful. A lot of times, better than creating something totally new from scratch. But I didn't, I never had gone back and just like, I had updated my stuff just to keep it, keep it up to date, but I never would delete a post, like half of a post and then rewrite it from the rest from scratch and things like that. But I think after about two, I was like, hmm, I'm onto something because if you can hit it, like we'd had a page, the SEO campaign was the first one we did. That one, you know, the, the traffic increased within a couple of weeks by like 400% or something crazy. Because when you go from right. the second page to the first page, you know, it's a massive increase. Plus, you're ranking for all sorts of different keywords because it's a match not just for SEO campaign, but like how to run an SEO campaign, how to start an SEO campaign, SEO campaign 2019, et cetera. So you started yeah. ranking for all that stuff. And I was like, wow, there's something to this. Imagine if we went to the bottom of our our pile of crappy posts and updated each and every one with this user intent in mind. Instead of just updating it for 2019, we just revamped it. And if it was already a good match, we just kind of did some basic stuff. But if it wasn't a good match, we're willing to start from scratch. So you basically took, let's say, you say like two posts, you revamped them, and then you checked out like the ranking and organic traffic coming from it. So you like saw it, you saw it like went straight to the first page and said like, wait, I want to get more like of my... uh, non-performing pages into the first page this tactic worked for me let's try it with a little bit more of content and you saw that it works you kept going exactly um i want to ask you something because when it's okay so when the numbers are zero versus you know one million like organic uh, organic visitors for a page it's very easy to decide what to do with it right If, if you get zero traffic then it's obviously useless but uh, as you have a website that has a lot of traffic to it, I'm guessing, maybe I'm wrong, is that even the pages that you uh, sought out to be not like non-performers were not zero visitors, but just a very low number. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So what would what would you say is the number, or how would you, uh, if if somebody would ask you? What what would be the number you'd say, okay, if it's below this amount of traffic, you should work on this post. If it's above that amount of traffic, uh, let it be for now. Well, I don't think – I wouldn't look at it that way actually. I would look okay. at it as like a ranking of your pages and say, okay, here are my top 10 pages. Probably shouldn't mess with those. <laughs> and then you have your bottom 90. 
well, how can we make those better rather than an arbitrary number? Because it does depend on every site and it changes all the time because your traffic goes up or goes down, whatever. So I would look at, I didn't even look at the numbers that much in terms of, oh, this page is only getting like 200 visitors a month or 3,000 visitors a month. I just looked at it as in my Google Analytics, it's ranked 50th. Why? And what can we do to make it higher? And if you do that for all of them, the rankings are going to shift. You're still going to have stuff in the bottom 50 or whatever, but the, the yeah. absolute number of traffic you're going to get is it can higher, go up. I don't, right. want, don't say will go up because you, you know I don't want to make any guarantees. But because not even every page we improved had this dramatic increase. Most did, but the actually the last one we just did so far has only increased maybe like ten or fifteen percent in terms of organic right. traffic. So it's not like every single one was a hit, but across thirty five, which is half of our content, you know that's a big change. Like that's improving half of your website basically. And uh, yeah, it was just a ridiculously successful uh, campaign and it required no new content, which was probably my favorite part of the whole thing. Right. How, how did you prioritize what pages you should start with? Um, I looked at basically the quickest wins. So I started, you know, I had the bottom 50 and I looked at which ones could be improved quickly. So to give you an, an idea, we had another one optimized around viral marketing. Mm -hmm. So that was a page that, you know, what does someone searching for viral marketing want to see? They probably kind of new to the whole thing. Like they just want to know what it is, want to see some examples from Dollar Shave Club and all these, you know, famous viral marketing campaigns, like right. and how they can do it to grow their company. And what we had was, again, a case study of how someone used a skyscraper technique to get a bunch of traffic. Yeah, yeah, it did go viral, his content, but it was really like, I really squeezed it in there. Like it didn't really make sense to be honest. I'm, I can understand why Google wouldn't want to rank it for that keyword. Is, is that like the one about the guy with the stock photos kind of? That, that yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that was a famous one, man. That When that was that, that was a famous one. That was oh, a that was an amazing, that was one of my favorite posts of all time because the guy got like a brand new blog, got 17,000 visitors in a day, which is still <laughs> just like absolutely mind-blowing. But right. As that's the thing about case studies, they're really good for content, you know, for like, like you remember it, Roy, I remember it. It's just like stories. It's easy for humans to remember. And they're cool because you can see how someone did something, but they don't tend to rank that well in Google because right. they're, they're applicable to this small group. And there aren't many keywords that people want to see a case study unless it's specifically searching for case study. And this is something I learned from this process that like, Case studies in general just didn't tend to rank very well. They did really well with social shares and comments and people love them. And you remember that, that published that into 2014. You still remember it five years later. Right. They're all good for that stuff. But for ranking across the board, at least in my experience, they don't tend to rank very well. So anyway, yeah, we took that classic case study and I revamped it into an ultimate guide to viral marketing. That was going to be a lot of work. Like that was, you know, we had, there wasn't a lot we could use from the post. I, I kept the example in there because it was so impressive in the guide, but it, were, it required a whole new approach and I had to get the guide designed and coded and all that stuff. So I kind of saved that to really just procrastinated to right. for that one's for the end. And that's the last one we just published. So that was like the end of this little Manhattan project. In the meantime, I was looking more at posts like, mm, how could this one 75% of the content we can keep, but we can rework it so it's more step by step or a list post instead of uh, something else. And we only need to add 25% to get it out there as fast as possible. So we start seeing benefits early, which motivates the whole team who's helping me out with this project. Right. So, so the, the prioritization was actually on like, what can we improve faster versus, uh, 
keyword volume, for example. Exactly. I didn't even look. It was literally like, oh, this one will take forever. So we'll save that to the end. And it was just the easiest ones went first. You know, I think it's very interesting. There's two things that uh, that are very interesting. One is that Jonathan and I spoke about this before the podcast. Uh, A lot of the time, right, when, when this is your own business, of course, right, you make this, you get to make the calls and even if you have a hunch or a passion, you can decide we're going to do this right now. My team is going to work on ABC. When you work in a company, and I think that a lot of our listeners are working for startups, some of them have more resources, some of them have very small marketing teams, it really depends. Um, you have to get the buy-in from your executive team or get your team motivated to do something and it's a really interesting question because what you're saying, you took that into consideration. So like, hey, like we can basically take this very easy thing to do, have a quick win, get my team excited about it, bring in more motivation for this project, and like the buy-in is easier from everybody. Yeah, exactly. It's, there isn't even buy. Like if you can, if you have, depends, like you said, on where you're at. But if you're able to go in and do this yourself on a page without getting any sort of approval and then it works and you show right. somebody say, look, it increased our traffic by 58%. Like there is no buy-in required. They're going to tell you like, okay, fine, go ahead, do it. Right. Like like you start you start with, this is like, I think a very important, in- no one's going to be angry if you touch the, the least, <laughs> like the worst blog post that you have on your website. So this is a really great opportunity. And if it's an easy win, it's, yeah. it's funny because it's, it's not something you're used to hearing that you do something that's easy and it's going to actually end up, you know, you know, being so good for you, but generally easy win shows results can help you get onto doing a massive project. If you have to get of some course. sort of confirmation from someone else. Well- of course, that's that's why it was interesting because, um, again, from working with a lot of marketing teams, Jonathan and I, I think you've experienced this as well. Brian, I'm guessing this is not not strange to you as well. Is that a lot of them? You know, what usually happens is that somebody would come up with a project such as like the your Manhattan project and say, we should look at all old blog posts and we should start optimizing them, and then. Uh, I don't know director of marketing or whoever would take a look at this and say, yeah, um, I'm not sure we're going to prioritize this. Let's prioritize new stuff instead. And and the approach, Brian, the, the approach you took with your website and with your team is basically this is how you get your, like your foot in the door when you want to start a project like this. It's a proof of yeah. concept. Yeah, because I, because I know that from like previous uh, episodes we had, a lot of people, you know, same thing as you did, Brian. You basically saw a case study on HubSpot. You said, oh, that's an interesting idea. I should try it. And for a lot of people working in companies, the try it part is not as easy because they have to get a buy-in on this from like a senior manager or whoever. And I like the fact that this is a very easy to take approach in order to to kind of say, hey, this works. Let's we should put more resources into this. So I think that's a very interesting insight because um, this is what makes this practical for a lot of uh, people working in companies. Yeah, Um, exactly. So the the only thing I want to throw is a big caveat to this is that for this to work, you need to be good at this user intent thing. Like we glossed over it as if it's automatic that you're going to be able to look at a keyword and just be like, oh, I know exactly what this person wants and just create it. That comes from years of experience. It doesn't have to be years of experience, but it can. It's not as easy as like, so, oh, this page is crap for this keyword. I know exactly. That's like a very specific knowledge. Can, can yeah. you walk us through how 
you decided uh, on the intent? Yes. So um, for every keyword, I basically go through the same process. The first is that I just look at the keyword and that, that usually is a clue because a keyword is, you know, Google calls them queries because they're basically questions that people have, right? Like even mm-hmm. if it's not actually how do I do whatever, like even if it's like Kim Kardashian's age, they're really asking like how old is Kim Kardashian, right? Right. They're, it, it's, it's always a question wrapped in a little kind of a, a little mini version, which is the keyword. So SEO campaign is kind of a tricky one because you're like, mm, SEO campaign, what does that person want? That one is, pro- they probably want an SEO campaign. They probably want like a template that they can be handed that they can just lay it out. I'm pretty sure based on the keyword alone, they're not looking for a case study about an SEO campaign. Like I'm not sure, but I think so. It's kind of like a hypothesis. So that's the first thing I do is look at the keyword itself. Sometimes it's really simple, like, you know, like uh, a paleo diet meal plan. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of, they don't want a case study, they want a meal plan. Like, as, so the, the better your content can be a meal plan, however that's possible, the better off you're going to be. A lot of them are very obvious like that. Link building strategies is another yeah. one that we rank for. What does that person want? Well, I don't need to be a genius to know that person wants a bunch of strategies for link building, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, the, the keyword usually gives you the information, but there are some tricky ones. SEO campaign was one for me that I, ha- that I struggle with from the term alone. So I looked at the actual first page results and that usually tells you, fills in all the blanks because Google has basically figured out through trial and error for that particular term, what are the best results? Like what, yeah. what does someone searching for want for that keyword? And I'll give you a great example. Um, a keyword that I've wanted to rank for for a long time is backlink checker. So like a tool that you can use to uh, rank for backlinks. And a couple of years ago, that first page had a bunch of different results. Like it had the tools, obviously, that you could use to use, to check your backlinks. But there are a lot of like, what's the best backlink checker? Um, what to look for in a backlink checker? A lot of content around it, too. It's kind of a mixed bag in terms of what was on the first page. But as Google has gotten smarter over the next couple of years, 10 out of the 10 results are tools. So I okay. know that no matter what I do, there is no chance in hell I am going to rank for that keyword unless I create a tool. Like it's gotten right. to that point where user intent can just lock you out of a first page. Um, luckily for most keywords, you don't have to create a tool. You can just revamp your content. So anyway, back to SEO campaign. When I looked at it, I realized it was kind of what I thought, which was you know, eight-step SEO campaign, how to structure an SEO campaign, how to get started with an SEO campaign, kind of like basically like step-by-step guide is what someone wanted. So with those two steps, you usually can pretty much figure out what people are looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you went and did that and then you just kind of listed, um, they want to get uh, strategies, they want to get step-by-step. And then did you do you go to each post and you kind of draft out what information do they have? Like, for example, they have screenshot versus they don't have screenshot, stuff like that? Or No, you... I don't get that granular because, like, the, the idea, because the problem with that is that it's good to do that, but at a point, you're, you just create something that's really derivative of what's out there. Mm-hmm. And that's probably not going to rank either. You know what I mean? Like, you want to yeah. have the, the approach that is common for that keyword and just use what's already out there. But you want to have your own internal process for creating content that stands out, grabs attention, titles that are different. You know what I mean? Because if yeah. your title is the same, like if a, a user just looking at the front page and if your content looks exactly the same, it probably won't rank. So you need to do something a little bit different too. Right. 
but yes, I do take a look at the content and just, just to confirm like, okay, this is a case study or this is a list post or maybe sometimes a video or a tool. Like you got to mm-hmm. look at the page to figure out what people want. And if usually like nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 are pretty clear, sometimes Google doesn't even know. And there's like mixed, but for the yeah. most part, there's like just a common sense. This is what people want and we don't have it. And that's probably why we're not ranking. Earlier, we, we said a few words about the guy with the stock photos case study. And you said, yeah, it doesn't rank really well because nobody's, uh, Nobody's really looking for stock photo guy case study in Google, right? Um, exactly. Uh, like they're looking for viral marketing, viral campaigns. They're not looking for that. But um, taking this from a wider marketing perspective, I'm like, again, I, I think this post like did a lot of service to you at the time because it was really, really shareable. A lot of people used it to kind of understand like the skyscraper technique at the time. And it did get a lot of attention through virality, right? Eventually, right? are you being are you being sensitive and nostalgic right now about the post? Is that what's happening right now? I, I have a printout of the are post like, right now. Are you upset? And I'm looking at it. <laughs> I have I have it. I have I it. I feel on my like wall. you might have it framed at home. No, it was no. I, I <laughs> remember right. really I just, well because because. Uh, the skyscraper. No, it was a good post, but if they need to upgrade it, then you need to no. upgrade it. Roy, just calm <laughs> down. No, my, <laughs> my question is this: uh, a lot of the time, when you have to write a piece of content, right? So you can do one of two things: you can really optimize it for the search kind of world. But a lot of the time, what's really going to hit well with search intent is not going to hit well in terms of virality and shares. I think that that post is a good example because it's saying there's not a lot of organic traffic. But in terms of actually getting, you know, distributed from a person to another and being memorable, it did, uh, it, it did had an impact. So do you think about this when you optimize pages? Do you think about it when you create content? Where do you see this fits in into the, in, into, I don't know if say the SEO structure, but let's say the content structure of, of what you create. So I look at it like this. I've tried a lot uh, to bring the two together and combine them it's occasionally it's possible once in a while but it's really tough like basically combine the virality part with the search intent that also has a keyword that people search for and then create it and it magically all fits together and what i've basically been doing now is more of a barbell approach where i have content that's really designed to rank Mm -hmm. that's optimized around user intent optimized around a keyword very seo focused and then i publish stuff that if it ranks great if not no big deal because no one's even searching for this kind of thing. And that's more designed to get links, to get uh, credibility and brands. And that's where case studies come in. That's where a lot of industry studies that I've been doing lately come in. Um, They're not going to rank because very few people are looking for like content marketing industry study or we had one about email outreach, like email outreach industry. Like no one's searching for that stuff. No one ever will. But we have something cool, put it out there. And it has, like you said, where all those other benefits that are so important for your business in general, but also for SEO, people mm-hmm. remembering you, people linking to you, people sharing your stuff, visiting your site directly, typing your, your brand into Google. So I've been taking this barbell approach and it seems to be working better than trying to fit these two puzzle pieces together that just don't usually fit. Right. So it's, it's, it's basically like targeting two different audience. One is like from search intent and one was like more... People focus on, 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 you know, something that gives them immediate value, unique value because they were looking for. Exactly. Like that, um, another question that I have to ask. So 
when okay so when when some keywords are obviously uh have high search volumes a few so well specific industries almost always have high search volumes but when you work with b2b businesses uh you know i'm i'm specifically just for an example that we have that i have in mind uh when you go to the world of like more uh developers cloud computing you know um on premise clouds i don't know the, the, that kind of thing obviously the search volumes are very very low right we're talking about like the highest search keyword would be around 550 searches a month and it's occupied by amazon microsoft and google probably um how would you tackle like would you what, what would be your seo approach to industries that are like that uh, well, I can I can relate to that too because in SEO we think of it because we're in this world like oh lots of people search for this stuff but it's so niche you know if you ask a hundred people on the street about SEO only not one probably knows what it is so like even yep. the biggest keywords like you think link building keyword research these are huge keywords they get about three thousand searches a month so it's it's kind of in that similar category and the competition is fierce so right. um, I do and I have worked with clients in the te- in the high tech space. And even industry stuff like industrial machines and stuff where like literally 50 people search for it, but it's super high intent because they know exactly this part they need in a factory or whatever. So anyway, to answer your question, it's kind of, there's a lot to it, but basically what I would do is first I would look at if it's that competitive and I'm brand new, what are, what is my target audience searching for when they're not searching for these specific things? Mm -hmm. So it's easy to get lost in the trap of like, I sell uh, productivity software for um, developers. So therefore, everything on my blog, everything we publish, every YouTube video, whatever, has to be about productivity tips because that's what our software does. It's not necessarily the best approach because if that's super crowded, it's going to be hard to break in there. And a lot of times, people who are in an audience, they share a lot of interests and passions and problems that have nothing to do with their jobs. You know what I mean? Like, for example, um, you know, the Roost, I'm using the Roost stand. I don't know if you're familiar with this laptop no. stand. It was on Kickstarter a couple of years ago. It did like bajillion dollars. It's awesome. Okay. It's like a lightweight laptop stand. But anyway, the point is like, this is something that was really good for developers because they're sitting in front of the laptops all day and they get bad backs, bad necks, and it hurts them. And they specifically targeted this developer community with this thing. They didn't talk about the laptop stands or anything like that. They focused on that group that all have the same problem. So I would look at it from that perspective. Um, Another example is like, say you're in the entrepreneur space. You know, you're teaching people how to start a business. The obvious approach is to be like, oh, I'm going to teach people five tips for starting a business, six tips for pricing, a case study of how... uh, whatever money.com grew like there is a place for that stuff but it's super competitive because it's already entrepreneur and ink and fast company and a bajillion others or you could just talk about tim ferris who everybody in that space loves for the most part and they are going to be interested it's going to be a lot easier to stand out or talk about other people that those people look up to that that they all have in common so that's the approach i would take because it's like that old marketing saying like go where they ain't and if you're just trying to get into a competitive space, going after these same keywords that Microsoft and Amazon is going for, that's a world of pain and a world of hurt that I wouldn't right. push on my worst enemy. <laughs> Instead, you can be a little creative and just target stuff that 
um, that audience is searching for when they're not searching for what you sell. Yeah, the tackle there sometimes is that it means that um, conversions are going to be very bad. Yes, oh, definitely. But that's content marketing in general. Like with content marketing, conversions are never going to be great because the intent is not usually buy something, right? It's more informational. Right. And you got to get them in. And, and the further you are, right, like you said, the further you're away from what you sell, the, that conversion rate is going to go down even more. You know right. what I mean? Like, like say it's sold SEO, like I don't sell software, but say it's sold SEO software and someone's searching for like the best SEO tools. They are searching for content, but there's a strong buyer intent there that matches what I sell. Right, I don't course. even sell software, but I still try to rank for that keyword because I know that that's a type of person that will be in, in, interested in investing in one of my training programs. So that instead of targeting SEO courses, SEO, learn SEO online, all those keywords, I barely even touch that stuff. I just go after these other keywords that are less, comp, less competitive, even though they're not like a one-to-one fit for what I sell. Because I know right. it's the same person searching for it. And at the end of the day, you're marketing to people, and that matters a lot more than what they're typing into Google. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Wait, but isn't that the, wasn't that the purpose, though, of the, of the Manhattan Project, as we're calling it? Is, wasn't it to turn around and say, hey, we kind of like, you know, these these posts, either they got old or Google changed their their algorithm to understand that this is not exactly directly related to what your website's trying to do or your company's trying to do. Isn't that generally like I'm my, my thing as I, I'm a creative marketer, like my ideas, I'm coming with the creative and the fact that I understand marketing allows me to do more effective things. And the way that I constantly look at things is I try to understand the the logic, like the basic logic of like, if I go on the internet, I want to find relevant content, the better, the more relevant, the better it gives me a solution, the more that Google should put it to the top. That's generally the direction Google's trying to move, right? It's just to try to do like logical moves. So like if I turn around and I'm saying, um, I don't know, I want to get developers to come to my website and I make something about, uh, uh, I don't remember how you call it now, uh, sitting correctly. Um, uh ergonomic ergonomic yes yeah, like that uh, sitting so that because we all know that they're sitting at their desk all day isn't google at one point anyways going to turn around and start destroying my ranking on that well not necessarily i mean if it's the best result for someone that sits all day and they have neck pain that will ultimately rank like that's the goal with seo um this is in terms of topics and keywords it's a really good question i don't think you should go too far afield you know the, like if you're targeting developers I wouldn't just create stuff for neck pain. It would be specifically neck pain for developers or neck pain for people that sit all day or back pain relief for coders, stuff that is, still ties into that, your core audience. But um, so I wouldn't go too far afield and start creating crazy stuff that, you know, is irrelevant, but, but not competitive. And maybe one out of a hundred people will be actually in your audience. I've made that mistake in the past. So I think a good example is the SEO tools thing. As long as you're getting that person to your website and you're creating content that's relevant for that keyword, you're doing all right, in my opinion. And that's kind of the HubSpot approach too. Like HubSpot has a bajillion pages about everything. I mean, they have so, they have yeah. I, literally tens of thousands of blog posts. How many of those do you think convert into customers for HubSpot? It's astronomically low. You know, it's like 0.0001%, but they're a publicly traded company that's worth $2 billion. And they did it by just throwing out a huge net. Like they have stuff about the best time to post on Instagram. What does that have to do with HubSpot? Nothing. But I know for a fact that keyword, they rank for that keyword and they get tons of traffic from it. And probably almost nobody um, actually converts. 
but there's a big difference between nobody and almost nobody. And they have a massive amount of those type of posts and they bring them in. Their keywords that probably bring them the most money have nothing to do with like CRM, you know, how to build a website or even inbound marketing stuff. It's probably these like fringe keywords that get super high volume and it's that type of person that's searching for it. Maybe they're not interested in HubSpot today, but that's what the email list is for. They visit your website, they read the content, they like it, they sign up for the email list and then down the road when they're ready and they get a pitch from HubSpot to go on a call and and help them with their marketing for free and they pitch HubSpot, then you're going to close them. So it's definitely like a long game with content. It's, it's totally a long game. And in terms of aligning with user intent, absolutely you want to do that. And that's for that each individual keyword. But as a big picture, if you only write about what you sell, you're so limited with what you can do instead of creating stuff for the person that you want to sell to. Um, I want to ask something. You said something that is very true about content. Like either way you look at this, it's not a quick win usually. Like if you want to, if you're, if you need to get a lot of leads in a short amount of time, starting a blog is not the way to go. Um, when, okay, let's say that you're a company starting out, like a startup company, when would you start implementing SEO as part of your marketing channels? Think think of, of course, like your limited resources at the beginning, you're a small team. Uh, when will you start thinking of, about SEO as part of something you have to invest in? I would actually start really early for that exact reason because it takes so long to kick in. So the earlier you start, the more traction you can get later on. And how you can cheat in the meantime and get some results besides Facebook ads and things like that is that if your content does well, you publish the, the, the stock photo website case study, you can get a huge spike of traffic and interest more than you get from any Facebook ad unless you spend a lot of money. Right just for writing one post if you're really good at content and then down the line that can help you people link to it it can help your other pages rank and stuff so i actually recommend for most startups that are going to do they're they're not interested in content marketing there are plenty that aren't and do well without it that's totally fine but if you're like oh content seo is really important for us there's never really going to be a good time to start and like you said roy it takes six months to a year to really for it to kick in and be like wow this is working for us so I actually recommend starting early and then the shortcut in the meantime is to create content that, I mean, whatever, clickbait, anything that gets people to your website, I don't even care. Like just get people to your website with your content and that can help your SEO over time. In the meantime, you're push, pushing out keyword optimized stuff. Right. So that's the approach I would take there. Um, I, know, I know we're running out of time. There's two questions I want to ask. One is actually, I think, a pretty heavy one and another one is... Uh, I think it's easier. I'm going to start with the heavy one. So let's say that you are a new company starting out. You're starting implementing kind of like content marketing tips. You start writing a blog post. You create content that you think it will be highly viable. Um, where would you start sharing this if you're upcoming, new to the industry, um, don't have a brand yet? What would be your approach for that? It would depend on... Uh- it would depend a little bit on the industry because that depend like your audience or people that would share your stuff hang out in different places depending on where you're at. Right. Right. So if you're like a tech person, Reddit, different Reddit subreddits are going to be better than something else like growthhackers.com if you're in marketing. So it depends a little bit in terms of growthhackers.com or whatever, Y Combinator, things yeah. like that. But in general, I would say email outreach is going to be your best friend because you don't need any traction. You don't need an audience and you can get it directly in front of people that have the power to share it. Right. That said, 
there, you know, you got to be kind of a ninja with email outreach when you're first starting out because it's tough to get people to open and reply to outreach emails these days because there's so many of them and they're so bad. Right. So, uh, and usually the content they're promoting is really bad. So you have to somehow show in your outreach email that not only is your content awesome and really different, but your pitch needs to be really good and compelling and get the person to say, okay, I'm going to actually work with this person, open it, share it, leave a comment, whatever, which is a tough sell. And I could, there's plenty of tips to do that, right. but in general, like if you can write a personalized email, like Roy, the one you sent to me was outstanding. Thank you. So that's a great example of an outreach email because I read it and I instantly knew this guy was not messing around. He's not someone who sent this to a hundred other people because it had stuff that was specific to my site. I have a framed version of your uh, case study blog post on my wall right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Exactly. If you show me a picture of that, I would have. Yeah. Roy, I'm so proud of you, man. Yeah, I usually actually have, I don't go on many podcasts these days. I've been taking kind of a hiatus, but your your outreach was so good. Thanks. That I really couldn't say no. It, so that's the difference between like really awesome outreach and just like kind of blasting out right. to a million people. You know, so that's the type of thing you want to do, Roy. Maybe you could share it in the show notes or something, have people see what it was. But it was basically like, I'm a fan of your blog, which everybody says, but he backed it up with specific things that I had written about. And I was like, oh, this guy's legit. And he and he answered the question, what's in it for me? Like he said, we had this person from this company, all these Silicon Valley uh, startups and get exposure for you. So it's just a really well done outreach email. And that's that's what I would focus on, that sort of hyper targeted outreach if I was just starting out. Yeah. Thanks so much. I, I think I think that uh, what most people miss is what is the real value for the other person. They're just like, uh, well, you got to get to meet us. And, and like the other person is like, yeah, I have enough stuff to do. I'm not looking just to make more acquaintances right now. And I think a lot of people don't know how to lead with value in general. Yeah, you did. Uh, you, you... Well, are you talking about my emails? <laughs> is, that, is that what you're saying? Sorry, <laughs> you. For you, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not hinting towards anything, Jonathan. I'm just gonna say that your <laughs> e- your your emails uh, were not mentioned on this conversation as best. Are you gonna put my emails in the show notes? Yes. Is that what's gonna happen yes. now? Damn yes. it! Uh, the, the, the second thing I wanted to ask you, Brian. I know you're you're uh, you don't have a, a lot more time with us. Um, I saw recently this. I don't know if you have the numbers yet. Or are you in the middle of like testing this? Um, so I don't know if there's like a concrete answer to this or not. I recently saw on your website that you've started um, gating some of the uh, case studies and blog posts, right? Mm-hmm. That is like you see, there's like a few blog posts that are open, and then some of them, if you want to get them, you just kind of have to uh, you have to leave your email. And what was interesting in this approach is that these blog posts are actually just like in line with all the other blog posts. It's not a pop-up. It's not like an inline form. It's literally right there, uh, streamlined with all the other blog posts, right? Yep. Uh, do you have any... Um, first of all, is there a specific plugin or anything you use to do that? No, that's custom coded. Okay, that's like, that's like the fancy stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so niche. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's it's a plugin because we have, uh, have a full time developer, so he might have made a plugin for it, but it would only work with Backlinko. But it's so niche. I mean, right? I've seen a couple other sites do kind of something similar, which is what inspired me to do this, but they didn't right. have it in the blog feed like that. Do you have any insights so far of the convert? You don't have to say numbers, of course. But uh, comparing to pop-ups and exit pop-ups and, you know, 
top bars, inline forms. How is this performing? So, so like, far it's performing not as good as pop-ups because it's just not as obvious. You know what I mean? Right. And also in a pop-up, usually you're, if your pop-up is good, you're providing, you're pitching something that's a little, has a higher perceived value than a blog post. You know, right. it's pretty tough style to be like, you need to buy a blog post or enter email for a blog post, you know, cause there's just so many with a, with yeah. a, a pop-up, usually like case exclusive case study, a PDF, a series, whatever. It's a little bit more higher value. So it converts not as good as pop-ups, but better than any sort of like inline sidebar, top of the page, welcome mat. I've tried everything. Right. Like, I'm insane yeah. about this stuff. That's why I had to, that's why I eventually stumbled on this. Cause I have been like, what else is there? Like, what else can we do besides cramming more forms onto the site and defacing the site? So it looks ugly. And I realized that yeah. can kind of look like you said, it's just in the blog feed at first glance, you can't even tell until you click on it right. and realize that it's, I mean, we do have visual markers like a padlock to make it we're not tricking people, but at first glance, it doesn't, it's not that obvious that it's exclusive. And then you see the padlock and we say exclusive content for backlinko subscribers. So yeah, so far it's it's that intrusive for sure. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, did you ever try or planning to try? Like, um, I I know a lot of the premium kind of New York times, I think are doing this. A lot of uh, publishers are doing this where you get like the first, two, three paragraphs, and then you kind of lock the rest of the content. Did you ever try that? No, but I want to. I actually do want to try that because it's pretty compelling. Oh, please don't. I, I hate know, it. Yes. The marketers <laughs> ruin everything. It ruins, like my ad week experience is so shitty because of that. I hardly go to their website. I used to go to their website every day to look at any article they had, anything up. And now I just don't go yeah. because I just know I'm going to get to that thing. And I've actually subscribed and they had such an issue there. That for whatever reason, even though I subscribed, I still get it. I still kept getting that pop up uh, thingy, that thing, that thing, and I just said, you know yeah. what, I'm out. Wait, but it, so now if I see an ad, I might click on it sometimes. But it, but I tell you that I used to go there every day. Now I go there once a month. Wait, but it got you to subscribe. I subscribed for for six dollars, I think it was like or twelve dollars okay. for like six months. Like okay, that. But, but but then I but then I realized it was horrible, and I turned around and sent them an email and going, "Listen, I can't even access the content." But if you now. but if you hadn't had the technical issue, you think you'd be happy with it, you converting and paying them? Um, because technical issue is a whole different thing from like is the tactic working or not. Technical issues. I don't know. I, I'll tell you the truth. The truth is that like I, I, maybe I'm just really really cheap. But I turned around. I was like, the internet is filled with free stuff. Why would I pay for this? Mm-hmm. And then I was getting pissed off that they're asking me to pay and they're not letting me have access to my content. And my friend got pissed with me and literally sent me twelve dollars in the mail. He's like, shut the fuck up. And I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> You're right. Like, but like, uh, but at the same time, the the image of my experience with that that website went down so bad. Like I, it just hit the floor so fast because all the content that I had access to before is now stopping me. And I was just like, now I need to go and find a different website. That's going to give it to me for free. Um, Yeah. But I wonder, because I think a lot of people had that experience with pop-ups and if you talk to marketers, marketers are always, no pop-ups are the worst. Uh, It's like intrusive. It's horrible, but they actually work pretty well, like really well. No, if a pop-up is trying to get me to do something that I really want to do and I'm all cool with it, like that, I don't care. Like, great, do a pop-up that tells me I have 50% off on something awesome. Um, but Or even tell me, give you my email for a piece of content that's longer than a blog post. I'd be more than happy to do that. But when you hide half of the information mm-hmm. on everything that I clicked on, ah, oh, 
It's killing me. I mean, like, yeah. I wish you all the luck, you know, trying it and everything. But I just had to tell you that my experience was like, I, I was so angry with the brand yeah. that like I forcefully now try not to click on their stuff and find somewhere else to get my information. That's been lodging uh, even though I love too, which is why I haven't done it because ESPN does it a lot. And they're pretty transparent. Like you can usually tell before you click on the article, it has like a yellow signifier for ESPN mm-hmm. plus. Wow. But what compelled me was that the teaser was usually, yeah. there's a big difference between this abstract, like, Oh, here's a PDF with, you get to see the cover of it and whatnot. And like reading the top 10% and getting hooked and then being shut out of it. The other issue is like for SEO, you know, Google doesn't like that you show users one thing and search engines, another thing which is basically what you, you kind of have to do with this um so there's a lot of other issues with it if i tried it it would be more like the padlock posts that i have now those ones that are blocked yeah. off like i would you know instead of just having it right there i'd send them to the page that has a little bit more mm. and the other way to spin it is it gives them more context so they can make a better decision whether they if yeah. they want it or not listen if you if you, the ex i don't know the expand one but like if you have something that lets you know that this content is a limited piece of content, I think I would be a lot happier because that's not what was happening with Adweek. Yeah, they're really transparent. With Adweek, it was like, which... here's the ad, and then when you went in, you couldn't even see the ad, which was like, ah, no, come but, on, I can but also, this. Also, I think there's a big difference between you have to pay for it and just give your email. I think it would be much more forgiving if it was just your email and you wouldn't have to pay for it. But uh, what I was thinking when I saw the... When I saw the test that you have right on right uh, right now with the post was that the problem is that headlines guarantee a lot of things. They deliver a lot of promise. Um, But really, it was just like about, yeah, I didn't see that I'm going to get the value that I'm starting out to see. Now, this is I think this is a lot about brand trust, because if somebody follows you for a long time, so they know it's going to deliver on the promise. But if I'm like a first timer, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like another case study I'm not going to learn anything from. And I don't have anything to even kind of get a hunch of saying, oh, no, he's going to deliver. Uh, so I was wondering yeah, if it exactly. works really well or not, because it's actually like. It- yeah, it's, it's working OK. Yeah, it's yeah. not like a game changer, no. uh, but it's 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 a little it's it helps. OK, I was intrigued by that when I saw it, um, <laughs> because I, I always love testing new stuff like that as well. Um. Amazing. Brian, uh, I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. No problem. It's good being here. I know that most of this was because of Roy's email, but like, still, thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> oh, no problem. It was good chatting with you guys. It's been a huge honor. Uh, thank you for taking the time to, to speak with us. Yeah, if you want to get more SEO tips like what I shared, if you head over to backlinko.com, you can hop on the newsletter and I send a lot of exclusive stuff that I only share with email subscribers. Amazing. Yeah, you, you, you'll be able to find the references we spoke, we talked about in the podcast as well as the Backlinko uh, direct link in the show notes. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for being with us. Bye. You just finished another episode of Strike Gold with Jonathan Cotton and Roy Pavarczyk. And if you're a marketer, you know what comes up next. Subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, share with a colleague, share with a spouse, share with your grandma. Um, Check out the show notes. Yeah, the show notes are great on season two, right? We've boosted it to another level. Yeah, it's more than show notes. It's a love note to our podcast uh, interviewees. And don't forget, we love you. Love you a lot. <laughs>